This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The kick ahead. And Dusty's chasing it. The bounce sits up. The Dragons are steamrolling to week two of the finals. Inside the last 10 seconds of the game. St. George. Illawarra to the death. Trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Oh, leaping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible try that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St George Illawarra win for the first time in their Premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock down the sideline. Chippy goes with the top of John Kane. Got a red surface bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jumper. Greetings, Dragons fans, and welcome to another edition of the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton and Johnny Pett here with you this afternoon or this evening from wherever you're listening, talking to you about everything to do with the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. Well, preseason continues to rumble along. The mighty Red V have returned to preseason training. They've had some uh, pretty arduous work and uh, some wet conditions down the gong over the last few days with uh, some of the inclement weather around uh, Sydney and, and uh, I guess, further afield in greater Sydney and uh, greater New South Wales as well. So the boys hard at work for what promises to be a pretty intriguing uh, 2022 campaign for the Red V. We've got lots to get through tonight on the uh, latest episode of the Red V podcast. We'll dissect your latest Dragons news and updates. We'll talk about, I guess, the COVID situation, the Dragons, amongst a lot of other sporting teams not just in Australia, but around the world are dealing with at the moment. Some uh, 25 players, I believe, is the number that's being bandied around for both the NRL and NRLW squads that are, are training at the moment. That's certainly been a little bit of a headache for Ryan Webb, Anthony Griffin, and the rest of that uh, Dragons uh, front office staff. We'll also take a look at uh, the preseason trials. The Dragons currently only have one confirmed trial. That's against South Sydney for the Charity Shield, but looking like there is another trial on the horizon. And also, uh, amongst all that, we're going to preview the wing spots for the Dragons 
Dragons in 2022 and play you part two of our chat with Steve Larder. Uh, Johnny Pett is back to be talking everything St. George Illawarra. Always great to have Johnny back on the podcast. He's uh, certainly had a lot of R&R of later, having a few weeks off work and he's recharged and ready to talk about the Dragons as we get closer and closer. Johnny, to the start of that, I guess the unofficial start of the uh, the 2022 season with trials only about a month or so away and the season proper only uh, probably two months away at the moment. It's exciting times to be a footy fan. Yeah, sure is, Jack. And look, a happy new year, mate. It's uh, been mm. a while since we've had a chat. And look, I've been listening to the podcast and Potsy's been killing it the last few weeks. So I, w- I wasn't sure if I was going to have a Guernsey <laughs> back or not starting in 2022, mate. But yeah, look, um, happy new year to everyone out there. And yeah, as you said, Jack, one month to go until the trials start and the possibility of a trial there, as you said, against Parramatta, then into the Charity Shield. We're nearly there. It's um, It's been a long time coming. I think uh, all us Dragons fans, with all the off-season signings and news and potential there for this side in 2022. I think um, everyone's chomping at the bit, ready to see this season rock and roll. Yeah, plenty of excitement ahead uh, for Dragons fans and no doubt uh, the supporters of the 15 other uh, NRL clubs as well with uh, the uh, season proper only a couple of months away. Uh, Let's jump in and take a look at your Dragons news and updates. Slowly a bit more news filtering through with uh, the footy season uh, just around the corner. And we'll uh, look at the latest Dragons news and headlines. That's coming up now. We'll start by talking about COVID. Unfortunately, it's probably news that people are sick and tired of hearing about. It's all we see on the news. It's all we see on social media. And it's unfortunately been affecting our sporting teams over the last couple of years. And it doesn't look like it's going away uh, any time soon. It's certainly been ravaging uh, the Dragons preseason, not just the, the boys, but also the women, the NRLW uh, Dragons side. They kick off their season in uh, in February. So that's only just around the corner. But there's been some uh, 25 players that have been affected by COVID and, and I guess, self-isolation and close contacts and all of those kinds of things. And it was no doubt what was going to happen with the fact that the state opened up and uh, was opened up by the, the Premier Dominic Perrottet after the big lockdown last year. And we've seen a, a lot of cases each day and now it's uh, affected the, the Dragons. I guess, uh, Johnny, if, you, if you're going to have your pre-season interrupted or, uh, or affected, uh, I, I guess the start of January or, or middle of January where we are now is probably the best time for it to happen. The last thing you'd want would, would be to have uh, 12 or 15 players go down kind of heading into those trials or heading into the start of the start of the season. Fingers crossed that this is the worst that it gets for the Dragons, but I guess it's just an, um, uh, certainly an issue that, that teams are looking at to deal with and, and no doubt working in conjunction with, uh, with the NRL. Yeah, look, it, it, it's not the perfect start to the season, is it? And it's, it's not just within the NRL, it's in every workplace. And it's, as you said, Jack, it's on the news. Everyone's really getting sick of talking about and hearing about this COVID, but it's a way of life at the moment. And you're spotted in what you say. You'd rather see these players or our Dragons boys sort of catch this COVID now than rather halfway through the season. I think that's the mentality and what everyone's talking about at the moment. I think it's rife through all the clubs. The Dragons aren't the odd the odd team out here with all their players catching COVID. It, it's rife through the camp. I know the Bulldogs are mad through it. The Broncos up in Queensland, it's, it's, it's ripped through them as well. So at the moment, it, it you can sort of take a little bit of time and look at it and think, hey, it's probably a good time that we do get it within the camp because mm. rather have it now than a few weeks into the season. So I think that from a from the Dragons' point of view and as from 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 a, a fan's point of view, a disrupted first week of training is better than a disruptive first round of the NRL. Looking forward into to the season ahead, Johnny, assuming that uh, we the, the players don't go into, I guess, a bubble format like they have in, in recent years uh, and they're, they're allowed to, I guess, kind of 
go out and about. Do you think uh, the teams and, and I guess specifically the Dragons in, in this situation, do you reckon they're going to try and keep players on a short leash if there is an opportunity that they might uh, contract COVID or, or something something might happen? They might say, hey, boys, we you've got your freedoms, no doubt, but during the season, let's just try and limit what, what we're doing outside of training and outside of match days. I think you're 100% right there, Jack, and that, that's the mail coming out at the moment that, that – What's going to happen is there's going to be some type of bubble. It's not going to be a strict bubble like where they all fly to Sydney, uh, to sorry, to Queensland, and they're all locked down in a hotel. By the sound of it, they're all going to be at home in their own residence, living a, a normal, you know, day in day out sort of lifestyle. There'll be restrictions on it. I mean, they're not going to be able to on their three or four days off go, go and party for two days. Or, or have a barbecue, Johnny. Queensland. <laughs> Or have a barbecue at Bonnie's <laughs> house, things like that. Those are those are the things that are going to come into into play. I think different clubs are going to handle it in different ways. Whether they limit um, how much the players do outside of their their team bubble, but from my understanding is at the moment going into season twenty twenty two, that the players are going to live a normal lifestyle. They'll just have to you know, pull their hand back on the, the extra activities they do mm. outside of football. I mean, they'll still be allowed to go and go and get a coffee down the street, um, you know, go and socialise with family and friends. But the, the likes of going to a nightclub, going to a party, going to a, a big event, maybe a day at the races, mm. things like that that the players take for granted on their weekend off or we take for granted. Um, I don't think these players are going to be allowed to do that. It's probably a good thing for the NRL because yeah. if these players do get exposed or they do catch COVID, and we, you, you look at what's happening in in, in the American um, sports at the moment with the NBA and or even close to home the NFL, mm. you know, and the, and, and the Big Bash Jack, some of these games are getting cancelled due to COVID issues. I mean, if you put that in the NRL scale and we're we're cancelling a whole round, that's a huge huge um, cut in money that we get from TV rights as from the NRL get from you know Channel Nine or Fox Sports. So they've got to handle it in a way where they're going to see a full full mm. season of rugby league. Staying on the theme of pre-season footy and pre-season training, uh, it's looking more and more likely that the Dragons are set to play Parramatta uh, in a trial double header at uh, Combank Stadium or the Western Sydney Stadium out there at Parramatta on the 20th of February. Uh, there is a uh, there's two games there. So Penrith, I believe, are playing Cronulla at, uh, at four o'clock in the earlier fixture. There has been no confirmation on um, who the opponent for Parramatta would be, but it seems likely that it's going to be the Dragons considering they seem to be the only club that weekend that haven't got a trial match set and the only other confirmed trial match for the Dragons is of course that annual charity shield which is the following uh, week which is February 26 at 7 o'clock out there at beautiful Mudgee so looking more and more like the Dragons will play Parramatta and I guess as we get closer to that date we'll have a bit more information about what the, the makeup of the side will look like we're still unsure what the pre-season trials um, will appear like I know last season uh, that was uh, the players that have played 10 games or less from the previous season that could play so a lot of the the mainstays that dragon side uh, like Benny Hunt and uh, um, uh, Zach Lomax, Mika Ravalawa, those kind of players didn't play, which may be a good thing um, uh, depending on injuries and, and different things. So we'll uh, see if that is the case uh, heading into those trials for 2022. Our last bit of Dragons news and updates is just a bit of an update for you guys, the fans, for some of the uh, Dragons lower grade players that have moved on. Now, Johnny and I have spoken about this ad nauseum about a lot of the players that have moved on. There's been a fair few that have gone up to Queensland uh, last year, but also now this year to get some more opportunities 
opportunities. Uh, it seems kind of ironic that as soon as a few of those guys have gone up there, the, the case numbers have certainly gone through the reef, roof in Queensland, but those case numbers are a lot lower uh, than what we have here in Sydney and seems more likely, more than likely that you get more footy up there in uh, the Sunshine State than you would down here in, in New South Wales with what's happened with the Jersey flag and New South Wales Cup being cancelled uh, in two seasons um, successively. So these are some of the, the lower grade guys that have left uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, so Luke Gale, who we've spoken to in the podcast before, he's gone up to win a Manly. Uh, Blake Barbudo, another one, a really talented, creative little dummy half. He's gone uh, to the Brisbane Tigers, formerly the, the East Tigers up there uh, in the Queensland comp. Uh, Jalal Bazaz has gone back to play park footy. Uh, Tyrone Roberts, who uh, kicked that incredible match-winning field goal for the Jersey Flag side and uh, was, uh, was quite an integral part of, of their successful season last year. He's gone across to the West Tigers. Uh, Trent Griffith has gone to South. Uh, Josh Carr has walked away from footy altogether. He's just opened a barbershop, so we wish uh, Josh all uh, the best of luck there, opening a small business, uh, certainly in these, these COVID times uh, as well. Sidiveni uh, Mosadreki, who uh, has played all sorts of position and played with a, a fair few clubs across the New South Wales Cup and also the NRL. Um, he's moved across to the London Broncos, so we wish Sidiveni uh, uh, the best of luck. A, a Hurstville United junior, I believe, so a, a St. George junior there that uh, yeah, has had a bit of success in the lower grades. He goes across to the London Broncos to get an opportunity with uh, with them. Uh, Tony Pella, who we thought was going to leave midway through that New South Wales Cup season, he has made a move uh, also to the Brisbane Tigers um, up there in that Queensland Cup competition joining Blake Barbudo and uh, the other player that has also departed is Dante Luai. Uh, he's going to Parramatta. There was a fair bit of, of kind of news and media about that in late October last year with him signed as a potential successor maybe for, for Mitch Moses, but certainly adding some much needed depth uh, to that halves position for uh, uh, for the Parramatta Eels. Dante Ray, um, uh, a Cairns boy that, that played with the Cronulla Sharks. He was then uh, in the St. George Dragons SG ball side last year and led them to a couple of wins and then uh, was promoted to the Jersey Flag side. So another one of those young guns uh, that was uh, providing uh, some good depth in that side and put together some good performances. And we wish, uh, we wish Dante Ray all the best. No doubt there is some other players there that have moved on that we haven't quite got the mail for, but uh, that is the checklist of uh, players that have moved on. And it is uh, certainly tough for the NRL players going through this COVID period, but even tougher for these guys uh, playing in lower grades, uh, whether it's yeah the, the, the President's Cup or, or Jersey Flag or New South Wales Cup, just not those opportunities down here in Sydney that there has been prior to COVID. So we wish those those guys all the best and hopefully we see them back at the Dragons or even more so see them running around in the NRL uh, one day. Certainly some really talented and creative players in that bunch there. Time for us to take our first break here on the Red V podcast. That's all our Dragons news and updates done and dusted for this week. And next, we're going to talk about our wingers in the position review. It was a position that was uh, certainly jumbled around a little bit uh, with suspensions and injuries and different things happening throughout the 2021 season. So Johnny and I are going to take a look back on that 2021 season for the, the the boys in the number two and number five and also look forward to 2022. What are the wingers going to look like for the Mighty Dragons in season 2022? Welcome back to the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton and Johnny Pett guiding you through all the latest news and alerts about the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. We're continuing our position review, having looked at the fullbacks last week with Luke Potter. Johnny Pett is joining me to talk all about the wingers for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And Johnny, it was a position that I guess you could say was stable for, for a portion of the season, but then I guess on the other hand was also a little bit unstable. We saw, uh, unfortunately, uh, Michaela Ravalawa get suspended, I think, was it three or four? 
four times throughout the season for some of those shoulder charge instances that happened uh, throughout the season. One against Canberra, another one against the, the Roosters. He still had a very successful season, Mika. Uh, and then you had a, a few other players that were, were, were donning the, the, the winger jersey for the Dragons. We saw Cody Ramsey spend uh, pretty much the whole season on, on the wing with some success and, and, and obviously struggled a little bit at times as well. But we also saw Max Fiennais and Matt Fiennais get opportunities on, on the wing. Unfortunately, Max picked up quite a significant concussion against the Cronulla Sharks midway through the season and wasn't fit enough to, to go up to Queensland when the competition moved. And that opened the door for, for Matt to get an opportunity. He made his debut against the Dogs at Cogra, then kind of tore his MCL and was out for a while, but, but really locked down that wing spot, Johnny, didn't he, towards the back end of the year. It was, uh, yeah, maybe a revolving door, I guess, over the last six or eight weeks for the wing spot for the Dragons. What do you make of the wingers for the Red V in, in season 2021? Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one, the, the wingers last year, Jack. Um, consistency and the, the lack of time that some of these players spent in the role really hampered uh, what the Dragons have done working on combinations. I think uh, one 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 player that did lock down their spot for four season twenty twenty two Jack and you know I've always said he's rocks and diamonds and that's uh, that's Michaela Ravalawa. Mm. I think he's absolutely outstanding when he's close to the line. There's none better in the game at the moment. I don't think than than ten meters out with the, with the ball in hand. Nine times out of ten, he scores that try for you. Um, you know that little bit of rocks and diamonds inconsistency under the high ball. Sometimes he takes his eye off the ball when he's scooting out from dummy half. He does those things as, as fans we look and just shake our head and want to throw a schooner glass at the screen at the pub <laughs> while we're watching it because we know that he's a lot better than that. But um, look, on the other side, you had Max Max and I, Matt and I. You had Cody Ramsey. I think those three are really going to battle it out this yep. season for that other wing spot. And you look at it at the moment, I think everyone's got their own opinion on who's going to be there. I know you've got, we've got Cody Ramsey fans. I'm, I'll put my hand up. I was a huge fan when he first came into the NRL. I thought the, the Dragons had unearthed a, a future potential fullback, I, I, I thought. But then he sort of was a little bit rocks and diamonds. He was a little bit in and out, um, very indecisive under that high ball, which to me, I thought he needed a little bit of, bit more time. Max Fay and I has always been touted as the better twin out of him and Matt. And he got his chance earlier on. And, you know, he got that bad condition as you touched on, Jack. And mm. they put they put a pen through him. And in come his brother, Matt Fay and I, who, you know, he had his injuries. But once he came back into that side, he really did cement his spot on the wing. And, to me, he was probably one of the most outstanding outside backs when he was on the field at times throughout throughout the season 2021. And I, I thoroughly think that he, he, will, he deserves first shot at one of those wing spots, as does Michaela Ravalawa. I think you look at Max, Max, Max saying, I sorry, and I think he is more of a centre than a winger. Mm. I know that you, know, you, you look back in a lot of league, a lot of NRL sides, they tend to blood, you know, your future centres starting on the wing. You, you see it for, for years gone by, but with the likes of uh, Zach Lomax and Suli in that centre spot, I really think that the likes of Max Fay and I and, and Moga are really going to probably have to apply their trade in reserve grade and wait for an opportunity in the top grade in season 2022. And Jack, for me, my starting wingers next year, as I said, Michaela Ravalauer and Matt Fay and I. Well, it's interesting because we spoke to Matt last year on the podcast towards the back end of the year, and he said that he's actually more a centre than he is a, is a winger. And he said he's obviously happy getting to, to play on the wing and playing first grade with the Dragons, but he said he was going to work really hard in preseason to try and push Zach Lomax and, and uh, Moses Sully hadn't been signed by that time, but a couple of the other players to, 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 to try and get into, into that centre spot. So that's, I guess, another little spanner in the works or another iron in the fire, so to speak, of what that, that makeup would like. But I, I tend to agree with you, Johnny. I think... Uh, 
Matt Fiennes showed enough last year that he could be a long-term um, uh, winger and, and certainly getting his body right as well and, and Michaela Ravalara. I thought he probably just lost a bit of confidence towards the back end of the season, Johnny. I think all those suspensions and the fact that he wasn't sure if he could tackle in his normal style of, of, of that, I guess, the Fijian flyer rushing in with the shoulder probably knocked his confidence a bit and we saw a few errors. But at the start of the season, I don't know if there was too many better wingers uh, in form than, than Michaela Ravalawa. So that is, uh, is certainly positive news for the Dragons. Uh, Johnny, I guess moving on, uh, defensively or offensively, is there things that, that need to change for, for those outside men, whether we're talking about Ravalawa or the, the Fiennes boys or, or Cody Ramsey, um, maybe even a Tatao Moga? Uh, what would you like to see more or less of for, for those Dragons wingers in 2022? Look, I think that combination of, of Rav and also Lamax is going to be the combination that's it's going to be so crucial to the Dragons next season. We watched in attack last year how good they were. Um, they really worked well w- with the ball in hand. You had Zach Lomax, he, he brought that flick pass into his game. At times, they, they misread each other, but when they both were on song, they really produced some really good football attackingly. Defensively is where they're going to have to work on their combination. I don't think at times Zach Lomax knew that Michaeli Ravalau was going to shoot out of that line and put one of those famous shots on, whether he needed to hold back. I think Zach Lomax went up with him at times, and that's mm. where it created a lot of overlap. We, we did. We seen a lot of points scored down Ravalau's side. And, you know, if any team going into season 2022 is going to watch the defensive style of how Ravalau jam, jams up and comes across and cuts in front of Lomax. They're, these attacking sides are just going to put on a very basic block plan. The winger that's out, that's going to be opposing Macaulay Ravalau each day is going to be in for an absolute treat. He'll score three or four tries mm. if, if Zach Lomax and Macaulay Ravalau really don't communicate in defence. That's the bit that I think the Dragons are really going to have to work on that side of the field. Attacking, like Jack, we've seen it. They, they were... They were impressive working together for, for 75, 80% of the time they had the ball in hand. It was mm. just some of those little moments that they let themselves down. That's the, that's the bit I'm looking forward to with those two wingers working, working as a combination. Uh, sorry, that centre and wing combination. I'm really looking forward to that. Defensively, I reckon they've got it nailed. They'll have to be working on it in the offseason. You know, if you and me can talk about it and we can see it, for sure the coaches and all the coaching staff in the Dragons have picked that up and that'll be something that they're working on as a combination. The combinations on it on either side of the field, Jack, mm. that's the one that they're really going to have nailed down because last year the inconsistency of the centre and wing combination, I'm not sure how many different combinations there were, but there were a few. And it's hard to build relationships, playing, you know, attacking, defending next to the same guy if you've got a different bloke in every couple of weeks. So I think the consistency, if Hook Griffin nails down a centre and wing combination for both sides of the field and he sticks with it for, for a few weeks, I think we're going to see the benefits out of that. Yeah, and it's it's going to uh, really come home to roost, isn't it? Assuming that Moses Sully locks down that centre spot on the other side of the field, um, the, the combination between him and Matt Fiennes is going to be huge because no disrespect to Moses, but he's not, it certainly isn't known as a great defensive centre. So, uh, yeah, they'll have to try and work on their defence and, and both sides of the field are going to have to yeah make sure they're doing their job. Probably defensively more important than offensively, uh, therefore, the, the Dragons. Uh, I guess looking holistically at a, at a wing position, Johnny, the wing is is probably the one spot where the Dragons probably don't have sufficient depth. Um, you've got Cody Ramsey, who is a bona fide fullback, but has played on the wing and has done okay there for the last couple of seasons. Uh, Tata Moga's come on on a one-year deal. A lot of people are seeing that he's probably not going to play much first grade, but if he gets caught up, he's more of a center than a winger. And then you've got Max Fierney, who we've spoken about, played a fair bit of wing in first grade, but again, is a, is a legitimate center, not really a winger. Is it is it worrying if injuries and suspension happen that you're 
you don't have that that real quality depth just below? It's a hard position. I mean, everyone used to say that wingers were just, um, you know, football players that just hung out with another another eleven <laughs> players. You know, they, they meant nothing. But you look at the game and how much the wing the wing positions come into play with these amazing try score tri- tries they score with how they leap from outside of the field back into the field, and it's it's become a specialised position. I think the Dragons are a little bit light on in those positions, but what we've got, Jack, we've got a lot of centres that that can play wing. Which is, which is an absolute bonus because as a winger, you want to work your way either into the centres or, or, or play fullback. A lot of these centres, they've come from that wing position, so they know that they're the position pretty, pretty well. Mm. So I don't think there are any, any worrying signs that we don't have enough depth in that wing position because I think we've got enough centres to be able to, to cover that position. And you've got the likes of Cody Ramsey. That I, I personally think Jack that's going to probably start the season in reserve grade and mm. if he's given a chance, he's going to be that one that's going to be the gap filler because, look, I'd like to get even money at any betting agency that Ravalau is going to get marked out for a couple of weeks for doing something silly of a shoulder charge or something like that. So Cody Ramsey is going to get his opportunity in the top grade. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how this side pans out and what it looks like heading into pre-season and uh, those pre-season trials. And as we often see in uh, in trials, there is uh, injuries and, and suspensions that come out of those games. So uh, the makeup of that Dragon side still very much up in the air and uh, the, all those young players and those players, I guess, around the, the, the bubble of that first grade side looking to try and break in and, and uh, create some opportunities of the, some of those young guys, uh, th- even through the Jersey Fleck and New South Wales Cup system that might uh, like an opportunity to play in first grade um, as well. That wraps up our wing preview. Next week, we're going to take a look at the centers. Moses Suli and Zach Lomax seen as uh, two really strike force weapons out wide. We'll uh, wonder and we'll uh, estimate what their season might look like and what damage they can do offensively and attacking wise uh, for the Dragons as we continue to move through all of the positions and all the players uh, that uh, could be having a big impact for the Dragons uh, in season 2022. If you want to uh, give your feedback or if there's something that we said that you agreed with or disagreed with, please do get in contact with us here at the podcast. Love to get your feedback. You can do so by emailing us redvpodcast at gmail.com. That's redvpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on our social media, Instagram, the Red V Podcast, Facebook, the Red V Podcast, and Twitter at Red V Podcast One. Our DMs are always open if you want to have a, to a, have a chat with us about the, the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. Time for us to take our second break here on episode 104 of the podcast. On the other side of that, I'm going to continue my chat with Steve. Steve Larder, the Illawarra fullback from the 1980s. We pick up where we left off last week with Steve talking about the latter years of his time at Illawarra, then moving over to Castlefoot in the English Super League and retirement and what he's doing with his post-footy career. That's coming up next here on the Red V Podcast. I'm sure during your, your career you had a few uh, big bodies come come at you one-on-one. Who, who were some of the toughest players that you, you played against in that, that era, Steve? Noel Khalil was uh, on fire for a couple of years there and he was just outstanding. And I remember a couple of times he's just running at me and I'm going, well, here we go. But um, he, he was great. Uh, hardest player to tackle, I'd say, was probably was Mark McGaw, played for the Sharks. Mm, yeah. He just had that big – he was a big brute in the centres and he'd had that long stride and the knees somehow always end up hitting you in the face. And, and, um, and yeah, so players like that I found were harder to tackle than – you know, the bigger guys, because the big guys, you just got to put your body on the line and got to do it or you don't. But when it's blokes that are, you know, quick as well as fast, John Ferguson played for Canberra. You know, he was just slippery. 
probably the hardest player to tackle was Martin Offia when I was playing in um, in England. He uh, yeah. he was just so fast. I remember we played him one day. He was playing for Witness, and he made a break down the sideline. As a fullback, you kind of show him the sideline, make him go to the sideline, and then hopefully tackle him or put them into touch is how it works. But So I'd done that with um, Martin Offia one day, and – I remember I thought, okay, I won't give as much as I normally give other wingers because he's quick, but it didn't matter. He just went around me. Oh, I didn't wow. even touch him. It was, it was just like lightning. I'm going, wow. I, I would never even be able to say touch if I was playing touch and next minute he's <laughs> out of the post. And I, I showed him – I didn't show him much of the sideline next time, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a bit different. But, um, yeah, no, I, I actually adapted the fullback play quite well. I think I played pretty much every game my whole career fullback apart from a couple of games. On the wing at different stages, but um, yeah, probably ninety nine percent of my games I played fullback. So, Steve, you you leave um, Illawarra at the end of, of nineteen eighty nine. I guess it's hard looking back on uh, a career that happened so long ago. But are there any kind of distinct memories or, or things you look back on in fondness at your time at Illawarra? Because you played sixty four games there. You were there for for five five seasons. So it was a decent portion of your your professional career that you spent down at the Steelers. Oh, mate, I just loved the whole time, the whole time I was there. I, I just loved the um, atmosphere of the town, you know, being a big part of the town be, and, and being around everybody and everybody knew everybody. Every time we, as I said, it wasn't – we weren't expected to win, but we'd win a lot of games. And when we win, you know, the whole town would celebrate along with us. And, mm. you know, they it was just – you know, if Illawarra Steelers ever had a win on a Sunday, it was just like pitch street on a Sunday night. It, mm. You know, Cousins, Michael Bolt's old joint – and uh, the places in town because everyone just want to be out around the players or, you know, around – or just around the locals, mm. you know, people that go to the footy. So that's what I really loved about the town. I met some great friends there at Illawarra. Um, probably a couple of regrets. I had a really good offer to go to Penrith at the end of 87, and I was so close to taking it. Probably the only reason mm. I didn't take it because everybody decided to stay that year. We had Terry Fernley coming in, you know, Alan McIndoe and Greg Mackey had got good offers as well, and they stayed. Yeah. We had, I think, Chris Walsh coming to town, Perry Haddock. It was a really good vibe around the place. And 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 then in 87, I think we'd finished about ninth or 10th or 11th or whatever it was. But I know Penrith had finished last or second last. So I'm going, oh, do I really want to go up there? But, you know, three years later they were playing in a grand final, but mm. I didn't know that at the time. So that was a, a chance that I might have been a chance. But, oh, you know, I'm, I'm – um, I'm not saying I regret it. I'm just saying that was a really hard decision. And when I look back in hindsight, maybe it might have extended my career more in Sydney. But mm. then again, I might have went to England, England, where I had two great years and and had the best two years of my life over there. So, yeah, that was a that was a big um that was a big thing at the time. But no, I, I love playing. I love living in Wollongong, and I love playing for the Steelers. Who were the, the teammates that you kind of gravitated towards? Obviously, when you play in a, in a team, um, Steve, you're, you're hanging around everyone, but who were, who were the guys or the drinking buddies that you gravitated towards when you were down at the Steelers? Uh, probably I was great mates with Paul Upfield, Greg Mackey, Alan McIndoe, Owen Saunders, um, Trevor Kissel. You know, we just – pretty much everyone, if you think about it, because we mm. kind of did – because there was two kind of distinct kind of groups, especially my early days, 85, 86, where a lot would come from Sydney – so there was always the group, you know, I remember Rod Reddy the first year, Kevin Kelly, blokes like that. There was about 10 of them come down the minibus and uh, for training. And then – but then you didn't see them as much afterwards because they'd go back. Whereas, yeah. you know, the Wollongong boys would be out and about. But as time went on over that five years, you know, the, the, the 
it was less of the people from Sydney and, and more locals and that. But, uh, yeah, um, like Greg Mackey, RIP, great mate of mine, mm, passed away way too yeah. soon. He's uh, He was a, a, um, a really good mate of mine and um, it was so sad um, what happened there. And Al McIndoe, as I said, and Paul Upfield, blokes like that were, were – um, who are you know who we hung around with the most? I suppose you spoke a little bit earlier, um, Steve, about um, your departure from from the Steelers. Unfortunately, that that ankle injury uh, meant you you really didn't get back into that that first grade side, and and you end up leaving at the end of, of nineteen eighty nine. Um, I, I imagine it probably would have been kind of pretty tough. I no doubt excited about an opportunity to to play in the UK, but I guess leaving a, a club that you'd spent the last five seasons that would have been a little bit heart wrenching. I imagine. <clears throat> Look, it was a really hard call because 89, I started off pretty good. And um, I knew that um, I, I hurt myself just the, the Sunday before um, the Wednesday Panasonic Cup game, the quarterfinal game, which is when Andy Gregory and Hampo come from England. Yep. So I missed that game. I missed a semi. I missed a few few weeks. And I actually come back available for the final. I, I, I I, I was right to play. I hadn't played any football, I don't think, but I was right to play. And um, they didn't – they put me in the squad of 18. I didn't play in the 17, but they actually made me part of it because I played the first game. I actually got the Panasonic man of the match the first game against West when we beat them in the first round of that Panasonic Cup. So, And I'd been injured the rest. So I really appreciated them, let me part of the 17, went up on the bus, done everything with them as if I was part of the team. So, uh, and then we played the Panasonic Cup final, which we we lost, unfortunately. And then after that, I, I just couldn't get back on the side for two or, two or three weeks. And I got a, a great offer to go to England. And I had to ring up Bobby Millwood. And I just said, look, Bobby, I don't really want to go because I could see, you know, Wishy was there that year and mm. I could see things happening. I just said, look, can you tell me if the two Pommy guys are coming back the next year? And, um because I, um, you know, thought that I just want to know what was going on. Bobby said, "Look, I, I can't guarantee it. I don't know what you do. You know, we want you to stay, but you would. Oh, I can't guarantee that. You know, if they get if coming back. Because the big thing about the with Greg, Andy Gregory, and Hampo was that, uh, you know, Andy Greg was a big signing for the Steelers, and he was great when he was here. But but you know, he was pretty adamant. He wanted Hampo in the side, and nothing against Hampo. Hampo had a great season. He's a real good mate of mine, Steve Hampson. So nothing to do with that. It's just that." I, f- I found that I would have struggled to get back in the side if Andy was there because he would have – if Hampo wasn't in the side, he, he probably would have went home. You know, mm, it was a bit of a – yeah. there's a few times where he went to pack his bags and go to the airport because he didn't really get, you know, get his own way. And oh, okay. So I kind of – it was a really hard time and I got a really good offer to go to, to England and I had to make a decision. And as I said, Bobby couldn't guarantee the next year. So um, I took it up. And so then I ended up playing the whole – last 10 games of that year in reserve grade because I was, you know, I, I was going to England and, uh, yeah, but um, it was a, yeah, it was a bit, little bit of a dampener, but I, I had a great five years there. So I was sad to go, but also, you know, I was looking forward to going overseas. What was it like to play at Carlsford? We know that the English competition up there is mainly in the north, no doubt, a little bit cooler than than, than Darwin, but I know you, you mentioned before that you really enjoyed your time in the, the UK. What was the, the Carlsford Rugby League club like to play for in that, that late 80s, early 90s period? Oh, it was great because we just had this – was such a difference from me. Like, I ran out one week at um, – our last game was at Illawarra, was it against Cronulla. Andrew Evenhausen actually scored five tries mm. um, and I was – 
that was 89. Then I flew to England two days later and I was playing the next week. It was the first game of the year because they used to play in the, the winter over there in back in the late 80s, early 90s. So, and I'm running out in front of this full house crowd. I've got Kevin Ward in front of me with his shorts rolled up and Grease <laughs> coming off there and, and like John Joyner and all these these blokes that had played for England. And you run out and the crowd was just amazing. It was such a big difference in a week. And, um, and I loved it over there. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think the first year I scored 30 tries or something like that or 29 tries, which was a record at the time for any fullback in any side in England. I just I just really, really love the, the way they played. The forwards were always looking to get the ball away. It was just an attacking kind of football. And, um, yeah, I, I adapted to it good and love the experience. What was the level of the English game like at that period compared to the, the level that you played in the New South Wales Rugby League? I think the best way to describe it is it was very similar for the start of the game in both halves, but the last probably 10, 15 minutes it fell away. Whereas, you know, and, and yet people got fatigued more because the fitness wasn't at the level it was back home. And that did change when a lot of Australian coaches went over there uh, and, and changed around a bit. But the, the actual level of football was, was just as tough and hard, I found, at the start of each game but it kind of just opened up a bit as the, as the game went on. And that's why I tried to base my play around it, you know, being a fullback with my support play and stuff like that. I, there were a lot more gaps would open up near the end of the games and things like that. But no, it was a good level. I, I, thought, it was, I, thought, it was, I thought it was a very good level, but so much enjoyable, more enjoyable to play mm-hmm. because every every game you played, the crowds are so close that you, you feel like you're playing in front of you know, 25,000 at Paramount Stadium or something. It just had that mm. feeling every, every game, even though there might have only been 12,000 people there or 13,000 people or, or whatever. It was it was a great atmosphere to play in. Uh, level of football obviously was a touch behind Sydney, but, you know, it wasn't that far behind, I thought. It was just more the fatigue factor. Uh, you played uh, and won in the, the Yorkshire County Cup, and it's probably something a little bit unfamiliar to, to Australian rugby league fans because we don't have these cup competitions. But I guess with when you look at the, the UK and across Europe, because their soccer teams play so many cup games, that obviously translates into, into rugby league. And, and you guys ended up taking out the, the Yorkshire County Cup in, in 1990, 11 points to eight. Do you have any recollections of, of that game or in that, that competition at all, Steve? Yeah, I do. The final was at um, Elland Road, where is where Leeds play their mm. soccer. Uh, and the thing about England is they're more – okay, they do have the, the competition, but the, the Challenge Cup especially where the finals played at Wembley and it's the big attraction for um, Australians going over and New Zealanders. I know when I went over there, oh, God, I'd love to you know play the Cup final at Wembley. It's mm. a really big a really big event. <laughs> but um, there are two other different Cups as well. One is the Yorkshire Cup, which we won, which is a um, – which is well, there's two there's a Lancashire Cup and a Yorkshire Cup so the, all the Lancashire sides play for that cup and all the Yorkshire sides play for this one and um, yeah we, we had a great run through and it was just it was actually great to get some silverware and you know walk around the oval at the end of it holding your trophy and that because we never got I never really got to do that mm. definitely obviously back home in Illawarra or um, or over there I suppose the unfortunate thing the Challenge Cup which is the the thing where you end up going to Wembley I mean both years we drew. Round three, which is when the, the main sides come into it, um, we drew Wigan one year and I think St. Helens away the next mm. when they were on fire. So I got beat both games. So I never really got – and then I came home in 92 and and Castleford, you know, they were drawing second division teams and lower sides and they made it all oh, the way no. to Wembley. <laughs> and I was back home watching it on telly. Oh, 
know. But <laughs> yeah, so I missed it by a year. But uh, yeah, it's all good fun. But loved it. Yeah, the cups were a bit different over there to back home. When I still believe they should have some kind of cup over here, whether it's mm. like the old Panasonic Cup days. Because um, like as an example, this year in England, Castle would have played in the Super League and. They've just played at Wembley in the Challenge Cup final, and like I reckon, the four or five games before the cup, they they got thrashed because that, everything just revolves around this. If you make the cup final, mm. it's the big event for the year, and uh, they did end up losing it. They got beat by St Helens, but um, oh, it might have been Warrington, not sure. Actually, it was St Helens, um, but. You know, no matter how you're going in the competition, if you're in the cup final, like that's the year. The, your whole year's good. The whole town bus rides, and you know, it's just everything. They go, they get mad about you if you make the cup final. Yep. When you were in the UK, but also in Australia, when you you played the the midweek Panasonic Cup, did you and the other players mind that you had to kind of play sometimes two two or three games in the in the space of six or seven days? Never. No. If you play the mid midweek game. Uh, well, in Australia, you didn't play as much because it was just a Panasonic Cup, you know, so it might have been a bit more. But it was exciting as well. You know, we played a, a Wednesday night game in Sydney, you know, we were mm. getting out of the ground, we got up on the bus, it was a live on the telly, and, like, it was a big – it was probably more of a big novelty back in the day because there wasn't wasn't many much night football at all or um, definitely not live TV. There was only really the Saturday and Sunday game, and Illawarra didn't get too many of them. <laughs> but in England <laughs> – in England – I ended up playing, you know, I think the first year was about, I think we played about 36 games. So you play a lot of midweek football. You just become used to it. Yeah. Um, you don't look and go, oh, shit, how am I going to get through three games? You know, no chance. It's just like, okay, guys, we've got a game this Wednesday as well. And, you know, then Sunday, it's just, it was just standard. And um, I think that's something that guys these days probably don't think is possible to do. Mm. But, I mean, that's just the way it was. Yeah, if you don't so, if you don't yeah, want to play fo- if you don't want to play football, don't be a don't be a footballer, hey Steve. <laughs> exactly right, hundred percent. You know, and there's so much these days with recovery sessions or going and walking in the pretty cold water of the ocean and all that. Mm. And, you know, back in our day, some especially when I was in England, you know, we I, I remember once we played two midweek games, like we had four games in seven days, mm. uh, in eight days, four like Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, because there was a backup with we got a lot of snow and. Missed a few games and they had to like get the play or the <clears throat> the games and yeah, so that was a hard week. I guess in in your time in in the UK, did you I guess outside of football, did you get a chance to to travel a little bit and uh, and see what was around both both England but but across in, in Europe at all, Steve? Definitely, uh, we had a system where we were playing as a professional. The, all the the three Aussie guys there and a lot of the guys were still working. Um, you know, that lived in England that were playing. So we'd always have Wednesday off and I just know that every Wednesday morning we would, excuse me, we would um, get up and um, just travel somewhere, you know, whether it's to Scotland or Wales or parts of England Mm. and always try and have an overnight, you know, so we always had that Wednesday off. So we saw a lot of the UK and a couple of times we got across to Europe when I – the coach would give us a few days off, you know, depending on our schedule, where, you know, we could go over to Austria or Switzerland oh, or wow. Italy and place like that. Probably the biggest thing I didn't do was in between seasons, I wanted to just come home to Australia and I probably wish now we would have stayed because that was their summer over in the Europe yeah. uh, at that time. So I would have loved to have a couple of months maybe, but I suppose I wanted to get home and, 
and um, and for whatever reason, so then I'd come home. So I ended up doing like five winters in a row. <laughs> but, yeah, so maybe should have explored a bit more in the off season. But uh, we go to Europe a lot now. Our son lives in Spain, mm. so we go to Europe until COVID come around. We we'll gather every year, so um, it's uh, making up for it now. But yeah, it was a good, as I said, because we were playing as professionals, and not everyone is professional in the club. We always have that day off week. Wednesday didn't have to trade to the Thursday night, so we could always have you know two days to explore. And yeah, it was a great time in my life. Awesome. You stayed at, at Castleford until until 1991. How did the the ending play uh, ending um, finish up in the in the UK Super League? And and did you have any opportunities to come back and play first grade in Australia at all, Steve? Yeah, well, I had two years. The first year was a great year at Cass. Um, we were pretty successful. We didn't. We didn't win anything, but we had a really strong side. Like, I think our whole forward pack had played for England at some stage. Mm. And uh, Jeff Hardy came across. Jeff Hardy's one oh, of my yep. best mates. And, yep. and he was playing at Sheffield at the time. And when Roddy Gibbs was – there was myself, Gary French from the Broncos, and Ronnie mm. Gibbs at Cass. And when he went home, Ronnie Gibbs went home in mid-season because he'd signed up to play with the Titans. Goal, well, might have been Gold Coast Chargers at the time or whatever they were called. Um, Jeff Rowe came across from Sheffield. So we had – then we played the whole next season together, me, Frenchie, and, and Jeff Hardy as well, and it was great. They've, they've been a really strong side. The first year, um, we were fairly successful. Both, both years, we, we made the finals. Uh, probably about halfway through the second year, we decided to um, – Maybe like start a family with my mm. with my wife and 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 Karen. She fell pregnant straight away, and we just thought, well, do we want to go home or stay here? And uh, I did have a couple of offers to stay over there, but we kind of made the decision that no, let's get back. And um, and if I can get back into Sydney, I will. I play footy again, or if I don't, well, that's fine. I've, you know, mm. I've had a great career, so we decided to come home, which we did. And when I did come back, it was just the time. I don't know if you remember, but they had this thing called a, the draft was in. Yeah, you know, the, the yeah. draft system. And for the players coming back from England, it was what was called a mid-season draft. So I come home and went in the mid-season draft, and I probably got about five or six offers to go to Sydney clubs, but they were all, at that stage of the year, like all the money had gone, and a lot of it were just like, you know, incentive payments, match payments, or just a small sign-on, and I had to make a decision. Do I travel up from Wollongong to mm. all the travelling to go to a Sydney club and come back? It might take me a month to get into first grade or whatever and, you know, is it worth it? Or do I just, you know, settle down and get a job and and um, and do that? And I made the decision to to just, yeah, to settle down and not to not go back to playing for Sydney club and, um, and yeah, just um, – just played the next few years in the country, done a lot of coaching in the country. But, uh, yeah, so that's what happened because it was a mid-season draft was in and it was a bit of an unfortunate situation because it's just the way it worked at the time, yeah. So um, there was no really money left halfway through the year for clubs to offer you good money to go there. But not that everything come down to money, but when mm. you weren't in the – had to make into the side and, and where I lived, there was a lot of travelling four yeah. or five times a week. It was getting close to the professional era for – Maybe was it worth it? So yeah, that's the decision we made. Uh, I guess the the end of your professional footballing career was was some time ago, uh, Steve. But what have you been doing uh, for work, and what's life been like for for Steve Larder since I guess your retirement from um, from professional rugby league? 
Well, I went into real estate when I finished. That was the other reason why I kind of didn't go back and, and um, play footy again when I come back in England because I kind of always had a really good interest in real estate and I didn't work in real estate when I was playing football because it was just too much time involved in it. Mm. I wouldn't be able to do both of them. That's what I was told. So, so I kind of went into real estate pretty well straight away when I – come back from England and decided not to, to um, play football anymore. And uh, I was in real estate for about 14 years uh, down down in uh, Shell Harbour, just south of Wollongong, obviously we know that. And then after that, my wife and I bought a costume hire business, believe it or not, <laughs> a uh, fancy dress hire, which is still there, Shell Harbour Fancy Dress, which we just been doing that for the last probably – 13, 14 years, and mm. that's kind of what we do now, just a little business which we run from our from our home. And, um, yeah, that's 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 what I've done work-wise. Uh, Coaching-wise, I coached for seven years in the in the region in uh, Illawarra competition with the university and also in uh, Group 7 with Bomaderry and Albion Park, mm-hmm. Oak Flats. And, uh, yeah, we won actually the last, my last two years of coaching Albion Park, uh, won the – the, they hadn't won for about 25 years, I don't think, but um, we won our two comps, 98 and 99, so it was a good way to finish my uh, my, my footy career. Do you have much to do with rugby league these days? Do you, do you follow the NRL um, at all much, Steve? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm not right into it, but I'm pretty good mates with Paul McGregor and, mm-hmm. and, and Trent Barrett just lives around the corner and like so they're because they're involved in coaching and that I kind of, you know, I support their clubs and, and hope, yeah. they do, hope they do well. I'm still a Dragon supporter. As a kid growing up, I, I was a Mad St. George supporter. I um, my, The first footy card my mum ever bought me was Billy Smith back oh, in the good. day. So <laughs> to this day, I'm a Dragons uh, St. George supporter and number seven's my favourite number, just based solely on that footy yeah. card. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, so I follow the Dragons, and but I don't I don't get them any games. You know, a couple of, um, when Mary was coaching, I'd, I'd try and get to a couple of year, and um, but uh, I probably well, it's been hard with COVID and stuff like that. Anyway, we have a reunion every year. Yeah, the Steelers have a game there. We always get to, but yeah, I probably follow AFL just as much because, as I said, I grew up with AFL in Darwin, and rugby league isn't that big in Darwin. Mm. It was playing wise, so. I, thought, I, I enjoy watching AFL as much as I do rugby league. Uh, I join them both, actually, yeah. No, so I just wish you were doing better the drags at the moment. We seem to be just hanging, you know, hanging around there. I just, it was <laughs> such a golden – it was such a great period, you know, that 08, 09, you know, 2010, and it just seems to have fallen away, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully they can uh, they can right the wrongs and, and get it right. Hopefully Anthony Griffin can can turn it around. But Steve, I want to thank you for uh, your time um, this this morning to chat about your career in rugby league. I've certainly enjoyed um, listening to a few yarns and, and getting to know you a little bit better. And I'm sure the fans have really really enjoyed it as well. And, and we appreciate you giving up your time and and chatting about your your life and your career in rugby league. Mate, thanks very much, Jack. It's been a yeah, it's been a privilege, mate. I've enjoyed it as well. And um, just go the dragons. Let's get back up there. <laughs> 
Great to have Steve on the podcast. A big thanks to him giving up his time earlier in the year to talk about uh, his career in the Scarlet and White and uh, his rugby league career in general. Almost time for Johnny and I to jet on out of here. But before we do that, we're going to run through and uh, listen and try and answer your fans' corner questions for this week. And thank everyone that has sent in their questions. No doubt they're going to get a little bit more complex as we get closer to the start of the NRL season. But the first question we have is from Jonty on Twitter. And Johnny has said, Ravalawa is locked into one wing spot with Lomax as centre. Uh, that will equal tries. Assuming Suli is the other centre and since he's an, he's average defensively, should that wing spot be based on who is best defensively, Johnny? Oh, look, I, you, you could take it each way, but I think defence is going to be a, a big key for the season. I think Matt, Matty Fay and I showed the, uh, last season he had enough in him defensively to, mm. to hold down that position and be pretty pretty strong out there with, with the attacking plays that were thrown at him. So I think he'll play outside Suli. That uh, was this season now, uh, but you know, as we touched on in that wing review, there is a, there is a host of players that are going to be jostling for those wing spots this year. Uh, Cooper Island on Twitter has asked, "Hey boys, which of our three young guns do you tip to have the best slash most impact in the coming season?" Yeah, look, you're obviously touching on uh, Junior Ramon, Tyrell Sloan. Um, and, and Bud Sullivan, I think all three of them are going to, at their time throughout the year, really shine. We've seen what they can do. But, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this numerous times, Jack, and what players apart from those three are really going to come through. But, look, you know, we, we, we know what we're going to get out of Tyrell. We know what we're going to get out of Bud. We know what we're going to get out of um, Junior Ramon. I'm excited to see Bud Sullivan get a fair bit of game time, mm. to be honest, Jack. I think he's been the one at training in the preseason of, you know, apart from catching COVID like the rest of them, um, he's been, he's, he's been the one that's been very impressive and he's, he's the young one on the long-term deal. I'm really looking forward to him and seeing what role he does play this season. But look, um, also Max Fainai, I think if he does get a chance, Jack, I know that um, you know, he's possibly going to start the season in reserve grade that, you know, I, I, there, there was talk that he was going to be better than his brother, Matt, um, that concussion last year, put that on hold. So, um, outside of those those three big guns, I'm I'm looking to see Max Fain or I have a have a huge season next year, Jack. That Reggie side is looking like it would almost be um, equivalent oh, to mate, an NRL isn't, side. Isn't it good? Isn't it good? Especially if if um, if Bud doesn't get a look in as the utility on the bench, which is what some pundits are saying. You could have Cody Ramsey down there potentially playing fullback now that Mossadreki's uh, moved across to the London Broncos. You got Max Fiernay down there. Guys like Daniel Alvaro, Tyrell Fumiono. Uh, there's there there's a there's a there's a few boys down there. Maybe even Josh Kerr that are going to be strapping on the boots. Potentially having Josh McGuire in reserve ground mm. as well. Yeah, it's looking like a pretty a it, decent yeah. side, isn't it? Yeah, d- depth isn't going to be our issue this year, Jack. Uh, last question, uh, Johnny, comes from Jordan Reyes, and Jordan has said, Hey, boys, Happy New Year. When we saw the likes of Amon, Sullivan, and Sloan, our attack was sublime, but if our defense was really poor. For example, the round 24 clash against the Cowboys. Do you believe the Dragons are relying on their younger players rather than the older heads of the club to have a more stable defensive structure? Yeah, look, that, it, it's going to be a huge issue, and you know, that in all in all parts of football, Jack, we were talking about this off air about about a young side and trying to bring you know these, these older heads in there to, to steer them around the paddock. But at the moment, our, our defence is what's really letting us down. I think mm. the attacking style and what we possess in the likes of those names you just mentioned. I think Jordan, what he's saying is that the attacks there, it's defence is what we need to improve mm. on, and and he's spot on in what he's saying. Um, I think last year our defence wasn't that good because we weren't fit, and I think that was the this is that's a huge thing that's been brought up in the off season for the Dragons. I think moving into 2022, I think you'll see a, a fitter side, which they will be a lot more defensively better. 
but defence is going to be the big thing. You know, you, these young kids, you, you, your Ramones, your Buds, they should be looking at the likes of Josh Maguire to lead the way. I know, you know, every young footballer, when they first pop into to open open men's football, they look to the old bloke and think, I'm going to stand next to him because he hits like a freight train. Mm. That's what these young guys were looking for in the likes of Josh Maguire, but it didn't eventuate. So these older guys were looking to the younger ones for a bit of inspiration because they're so fit. But I think in 2022, I think we're going to see a bit better balance because we're going to see a lot fitter side than what we've seen last year. Yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting one uh, there. I know Jaden Sullivan... Um, has, uh, has been working really hard on his defense. And I think the, the fact that those boys got a sprinkling of first grade games at the back end of last season probably is going to help them uh, defensively and, and uh, just getting used to the speed of the game. Because that's what you've got to remember. These, a lot of these guys, someone like Junior Ramone, I think what he, he played maybe one reserve grade game. He, uh, the pace from SG ball up to, to first grade is, is very, very different, even if you're, you're getting used to, to tackling your teammates at, at training and different things. So I think those five or six games they got at the back end of the year would be imperative for them and, and their growth. And, I think they're going to look pretty good in season 2022 for the Red V. Certainly uh, some exciting times ahead. That brings us to the end of our Fans Corner segment. If you do want to get your questions featured on the Red V podcast, there's a variety of ways that you can do that. You can email them to us like Jordan did at our uh, email address, redvpodcast at gmail.com. That's redvpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our various social media channels, Instagram, the Red V Podcast, Twitter at Red V Podcast One, and Facebook, the Red V Podcast. Every uh, Tuesday morning, we put up our uh, question or Fans Corner question graphic uh, for you guys to get involved and ask your questions. We also take audio questions as well if uh, you're brave enough to have your voice uh, featured on the Red V podcast. But that uh, completes our Fans Corner segment, but also completes episode 104 of the Red V podcast. Johnny, great to have you uh, back on the pod again tonight, mate. And uh, as we uh, get closer and closer to footy season, certainly some exciting times ahead for the Dragons. I know there's some trepidation uh, amongst the fan base of uh, what's been a, a pretty poor last decade, it must be said. But certainly it looks like things are trending in the right direction for the Dragons. And personally, I can't can't wait for these preseason trials to start so we, we get a look at some of the young guys and some of the older guys and see how the Dragons are, are going to fare in 2022, mate. Yeah, I'm with you, mate. It feels like there's a little bit of a changing at the guard, to be honest. You know, we've got we've we've signed all a host of players. Uh, we've got the young guys coming through. It just feels like it's a, you know, it, it feels like a, a new dynasty is about to arrive for the Dragons. I really hope it's, it, it's one that sends us north up the ladder, um, mm. up into that top four pretty early and stay there for the whole season. But, yeah, exciting times for the Dragons 2022, you know, trials four weeks away. Um, I'm itching, mate, to see a bit of football like yourself. And uh, let's hope that this uh, Dragons fans, we can all get behind our side this season and big turnouts to some of these games. And hopefully that'll kick along mm. a few wins for the boys. Yeah, let's hope so. Big thanks to Johnny Pett for his uh, work on the podcast tonight. We'll continue our position preview next week looking at the centres, so make sure you're getting in uh, your thoughts on what those centre pairings are going to look like and what damage they might be able to do offensively for the Dragons in season 2022. We'll be back next Tuesday for episode 105 of the Red V podcast, but until then, stay safe. God bless, Dragons fans. Go those mighty Dragons. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.